Welcome to the Northern Australia Food Futures Conference podcast. The Biennial Conference is Australia's leading event on agricultural development in the North, an area covering over half of Australia's landmass, but housing just 5% of the national population. In this podcast series, we sit down with a range of guests to explore the 2023 conference theme, Northern Myths, Realities and Opportunities and provide a preview of the discussions that will take place at the event, which attracts over 600 national and international delegates. Tickets for the conference, held in Darwin, May 22 to 25, are available at foodfuturesntfarmers.org.au. We look forward to seeing you there. Hi, I'm Nick Ormsby from Catherine, Northern Territory. We have three businesses in Catherine. And what are those businesses? Northern Hedging and Contracting, which is highly involved in the horticulture and forestry industries. Uh, we do mechanical pruning and spraying and sandalwood and fires and trucks and loaders and anything that can happen will happen. NT Broadacre is a large-scale broadacre operation, predominantly in cotton. And our third business is Razor Rock Farm, where we grow mangoes, and we have about 50 hectares of mango trees. So what brought you to the Northern Territory initially? Are you from here? I'm not originally from here. I grew up in South Australia in a town called Remark. In the drought of the mid-2000s, it uh, all got doom and gloom and we lost a lot of water allocations and stuff, so I decided one day that this is my chance to get out and pack my ute up and I had a toolbox of tools and a bag of clothes and headed off. So out of anywhere in the country that you could have gone, you could have turned west, east or north, what made you choose north? I actually got to Port Augusta and there's a big T intersection there and I didn't really know where to go. I could have gone west on the grain or I could have gone north to stations and, and things like that. And I actually flipped a coin twice and heads came up twice. So uh, I headed on north. <laughs> Did you have to flip it twice because you weren't happy with the first result? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you couldn't argue and it happened again? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So what was the plan coming to the Northern Territory? I'm guessing you didn't go straight into launching these three businesses or acquiring a farm. No. So I... I didn't know where I was going, so I trundled off down the road and a friend of a friend of a friend rang me in Tennant Creek and said, oh, I heard you, you know, you're up this way and would you like a job? And I ended up working on a on a mango farm in Darwin and then um, that turned into day-to-day running of that farm. Yeah. Had you ever had anything to do with horticulture before? What was the farm you were from down south? Uh, I was off a citrus farm. Oh, okay, yep. so you had some yep. horticultural background. Citrus and almonds, stone fruit. The person I work for down south who I st- still speak with a lot these days is a citrus farm and a contracting business. And so I, I learned a lot from him. He's a great mentor and still is a great mentor. And, yeah, it's just all progressed from there. So out of the three businesses you run today, which one came about first? Uh, Northern Hedging and Contracting. Okay. And so what, I guess, how did you make the leap from working on the mango farm and then kind of being in a more senior role to 
branching out and starting your own business in a place where you probably didn't have very many contacts or you hadn't been very long? I actually was working on the farm and I wanted to actually go back and do my apprenticeship as a diesel mechanic and uh, Caterpillar wouldn't accept anyone lower than year 11 schooling and I didn't have year 11 schooling. Anyway, so the people that owned the hedging business, sadly enough, he, he passed away in the middle of the season and his wife knew that I'd been driving and operating those machines down in South Australia and she called me up and asked if I could come and help them get them out of trouble and I did and um, she said, you know, why don't you buy us out? And in my mind I was like, no way, I've been doing this for five, six years and then I thought, well, I'm probably not going to get my apprenticeship so I had um, been saving my money since I was 14 so I invested that into that business and I bought it. And that was just with one machine and and one truck, and I, I started from there. I had enough money in my bank account to buy one 44-gallon drum of diesel, and the rest is history. That is an incredible story. Our society places a lot of weight on secondary and tertiary education, and I'm excited for anyone listening to this that is like, oh, I didn't finish school, you know, I'm only ever going to get to, you know, there's a pretty low glass ceiling and you've quite literally just smashed that. I mean, you're running three businesses, you own a property. Mm. Yeah, look, school's not for everyone. I'm keen aesthetic, so I learn with my hands. And and back back in the, you know, the 90s, I maybe didn't realise that in the the schooling education. But you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. Just because you don't have schooling education doesn't mean you're stupid. Yeah. No, I think you, you've <laughs> yeah. clearly shown that. Yeah. What business came next? We then bought, well, we actually, we didn't buy the farm. We leased the farm for a couple of years. And then uh, we ended up buying that farm or the farm that we live on now. Yeah, I think this is our sixth year on this farm. What gave you the confidence to expand? I mean, it's it's probably hard enough to manage and run one business the Northern Hedging and Contracting, which you said works primarily mm. in horticulture, so mangoes. Yeah, jackfruit, uh, mm-hmm. rambutans, some banana stuff, um, citrus, forestry, sandalwood, mahogany. Gosh, that sounds yeah. like there's plenty there to keep you busy. What what inspired you to, to then buy a place of your own? Yeah, it's always been a dream of mine to have my own farm. And at the time, I never thought we, we, we could, but a bit of persuasion and a bit of pushing and yeah, it just seemed to happen. Yeah. And then it sounds like the last business to come along was NT Broadacre. What does that do? Like you don't actually, do you, do you own the crop or are you just like the, the machinery that kind of grows and harvests the we're, crop? We're the machinery contractors and we're primarily based at, at one, location although we do do a little bit of work here and there for others but it's we supply all the machinery and labor to to grow cotton and development and spraying and mulching and plowing and raking and fires and mechanics and you name it do you ever have five minutes to scratch yourself (laughs) or to think of a fourth business because you sound incredibly busy uh i've actually got two big projects uh in the pipeline now i'm not finished yet it's very important to me though that 
you know, I have a higher standard, a seriously higher standard, and I won't take on anything else until those businesses are carrying that high capacity and higher level of standard. So, yeah, look, I've, we have a manager and he helps us keep it all on track. And we have some really great people that in our team that that work with us. I'm, I'm, I don't like to say people work for us. They work with us and we just try and build the best culture we can. And I try to include everyone in these projects so that it, it gives everyone a boost. It's just an incredible story. And as we move into the the rest of the episode, which is going to be based around the theme for the 2023 Food Futures Conference, which is Northern Australia, myths, realities and opportunities. I feel like we've already busted a couple of myths, which maybe you didn't hold, but I, and I wouldn't say I held these myths, but it's certainly, I think we can agree generally in society. There's that bit of the myth that, you know, how important education or secondary education is and that, that very systemic, rigid education system like that's you know and also the other myth which I suppose is one that I, I sort of hold a little bit is that yes there's a lot of opportunity in northern Australia but you've kind of got to work for a hundred years before you get your foot in the door like it is hard to maybe I'm thinking perhaps more pastoral with the capital investment required but even starting a successful business like it is so hard and look what you've done yeah no it's pretty good it's, it's you know I don't ever say it's a great achievement, but it's a pretty good achievement. Slow and steady wins a race. If you push too hard, it'll bite you. If you don't push hard enough, it'll eat you. And there's a very fine line of connection there. Sounds yeah. like you're living in a perpetual game of Pac-Man. <laughs> yes, it's, uh, yes, some days are, some days are pretty interesting. So, what are some of the other myths that you are aware of to do with Northern Australia and perhaps agriculture or horticulture and just, I guess, being up here that you think people may hold and and we need to bust? I think it's a lot of the time you just can't click your fingers and make it all happen in 30 seconds flat. Um, There's a lot of logistical issues there, time and parts and machinery, bits and pieces and so it sounds like maybe the myth is that up here just runs and operates like anywhere else in the country. Yeah, that's right. There, there is a myth that you can just go down the street and, and, and buy that spray pump or that fitting or that hydraulic hose or that special hydraulic valve or something or that tire. There's, there's just not that here. And, you know, air freights, it's not two days, it's three days. Um, road freight, express road freights. Three days to six days. So you, you need to carry a lot of stock to uh, keep it all going. Sounds like if, if anyone's thinking, well, Australia is Australia. You know, we all wake up and watch the same Koshi on sunrise and we all listen to the same country hour and, and farming is farming. It sounds like no farming is not farming up here. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's, it is getting better. It is getting much better as, as more and more farming comes to the territory or, and Northern WA. Um, I think you just, yeah, sometimes it is what it is. If you, if you have to wait for that truck for two more days and there's nothing you can do about it, you just, you just have to accept it. Sounds like it breeds patience and also 
preparation, really focusing on having your ducks in a row and planning ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Planning Planning is a big thing. Um, if you're just talking machinery, I know we, we carry a huge amount of stock of parts that we use all the time, which is another overhead, um, and being patient at times and, and just communication. And sometimes getting that communication across is never goes down that well that you're waiting for something, but you're trying your best to, to get it here. So that myth of farming up here being the same as farming anywhere else in the country, that's also essentially a reality. So that's a really good segue into our next section, which is the realities. So what, what are the realities for you of running your businesses up here? There's a lot more overheads of running a business here. Time, distance long drives, wearing out Toyotas, you know, it's hot, it's dry, there's a limit, there is limited people here and, and in the wet season it's wet and you've got sophisticated timelines to have everything done by and you're, you're constantly racing the rain in the wet and in the dry season you're usually constantly waiting for rain to be able to go again. So it's a, it's a, it's a funny time clock. Another reality is attracting people, you know, high-level skill people like um, managers, supervisors, uh, accounts people, great machinery operators. Do you think that's to do with the industry that you're trying to attract people into or perhaps more broadly Northern Australia and how underdeveloped it is? relative to the rest. I mean, we always think, you know, someone's putting on a concert, they go to Sydney and Melbourne. No one ever really comes up here or there's not as – there just doesn't seem to be as much, you know, even even when it comes to housing, um, schools, other things, like there's just not as much of everything. Yeah, well, it's just – there's just not the volume here yet. And it is changing. I've, I've watched it change in the last – especially in the last 10 years. There is a lot more people coming cropping and horticulture is is not new to the northern territory but the scale is new and so you're really trying to find those people that that have a passion for agriculture to work in it which is is a little bit limited but we're teaching a lot of people and a lot of people really like it so so that may have just answered my next question which is going to be what is the biggest challenge that you're facing in, in any of the three businesses or all of them? No, it's people. It's attracting people to come. Do you find once they get here it's it's easy to keep them? It's just that initial attraction or is there a retention? Uh, there's aspect? two ways. Uh, you, you'll find that some people will come here and they'll absolutely love it and they'll never go home when they say they're only coming for six months. And then some people come here and they, they the heat just knocks them and, and, um, they're out in two seconds flash. So it, it, I think it takes a, a bit of a special kind to come and work in the bush and the remoteness. You know, there's a lot of places where there's no phone service, a lot of places where you have to cook for yourself. There's a lot of places where it's a, 300k drive to get a bolt there's no movies on or the water ski park's not just down the road or things like that so it's attracting those people that can deal with that remoteness is there anything about 
being up here and running your businesses that has genuinely surprised you? I've had many surprises. There's never not a surprise. You have to be careful not to push it and you have to be careful not to under push it. I think the biggest thing is you never know what's around the corner, whether it's to do with customer base or or a connection with the land. You'll never know if you have 500 mil in six days or or you won't get any rain or it's 40 degrees heat for 50 days straight or something like that. But surprises, yeah, there's there's so many surprises. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like, yeah, I guess that can be similar to many places Mm. in the country. So, no no big scary surprises that have no, there's no big scary surprises it's just it's just more realities of it i yeah. think that's the surprise the surprise is is there is realities of working and living remotely and you could say a minimum of two and a half thousand k's to the eastern side of australia or southern areas so that is a surprise because you you're half on your own here I suppose you can either look at it as a challenge or an adventure. So perception probably plays a big part in it. It does. Yeah. And challenge accepted. Now, (laughs) good to hear. Not to end this section on a negative note, but I I just, I'd like to ask people about their failures because I think we, there's, you know, we don't talk about failures to kind of wallow in them, but to learn from them. And there's always something that, I find failure, once you stop and recognise it, it makes you so much better. So have you had any failures since you started and how have you overcome them? Yes, I've had many I've had many failures. Failures is all about learning from them. And hindsight's a beautiful thing and it's there's nothing wrong with failing as long as you learn by it. I think my biggest failure was um a, a company that we did work for for many years, a long time ago, had some seriously financial difficulty at one point at the start of our season when we spent everything we had to get going for the season and that pretty much broke us for 12 months. But, you know, I learned how to run a business with no money in it and doing all the right things by everyone and working with people and knuckling down on your numbers and knuckling down on budgets and, and going out and pushing harder to make it happen and crawl it back. Um, I think that's the best lesson I've ever learned, which to these days I actually don't call it as a failure. It, it was probably the best lesson I ever learned. Again, perception is everything. Yep. So is that, I mean, when you listed the different commodities you work with in Northern Hedging and Contracting, there's a lot of diversity there. And then, so you've got that level of diversity, but then you've got these three businesses like your your portfolio is incredibly diverse. Is that does that stem from that experience of having kind of I'm not saying all your eggs were in one basket, but in that instance, it sounds like they kind of were. It, it is. Um, I don't believe you can have all your eggs in one basket these days in business. You need to be diversified. So when one's up, one's down. You can rob Peter to pay Paul. Uh, do you think it's different, there's a, a different need for diversity in the north versus other areas of Australia, perhaps to do with the extreme weather or logistics or politics or anything like that? Or is it kind of the same, same wherever you go? Uh, it's, there's actually just not the volume here yet, which is changing very rapidly. I know in the horticulture and forestry industries, there's, you know, 
we're pushing for more, um, but that, that you know that it's just not developed enough just yet. So it's just not the scale here yet. The scale is not like down south where you know one farmer might have twenty thousand hectares of grain or fifteen hundred hectares of citrus or something like that. It sounds like there are. Well, I guess I'm just going to segue into the next section of opportunities. It sounds like there are plenty of opportunities to come up north and start a business, but given the scale that some industries are at, that one industry may not be enough to sustain your business. You may you need to look at being able to do other things or have other streams of income. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think as time goes on, there there'll be a a lot larger scale agricultural business you know opportunities but i think you definitely have to be diversified to be in it long term and have other income streams because some wet seasons it just doesn't rain some wet seasons it rains too much and everything you put in the ground is gone some years it's too hot for too long or anything you know the new latest bug insect will come in and wipe everything out so there's so much to learn. Well, continuing on with the last section of the podcast, which is opportunities, what are the opportunities you see for the North? I think there's uh, there's huge opportunity coming. I think there'll be some big reality checks in some of those opportunities. But in the coming years, I do see there's some great opportunities and new developments across horticulture, forestry, broadacre, hay, cotton, cattle. I think it's just taking those opportunities that are right and not jumping and jumping in the deep end and doing something that's not calculated. There is plenty of examples to learn from. I, I think you actually have to have to come up here and do agriculture, you, act, you you need to be able to have a connection with the land. You need to understand how the seasons work, how the rain patterns work here. You need to understand the logistics. You need to understand how good it is but how cruel it can be. And I think once you understand that, then you can make the right decisions. But in, unless you understand it, It'll, uh, it'll bite you. So if anybody that is perhaps running a successful agricultural venture anywhere else in the country, it, it's not a, it's not a simple case of duplicating that business model up here. You kind of need to understand the nuances and the differences, which are certainly there's lots of challenges and realities, but there are also things you can celebrate as well. Oh, there is. There's some great opportunities. There's some pretty big swords to face too at times and, you know, when you do your calculations, you probably want to knock 30% of it off straight away So, and, and, and be ready for the challenge because if you're not ready for the challenge, it, it will it'll break you. But also very, very rewarding. So there's a, a very open end of the scale there. There's a lot of opportunity coming in the North Australia especially I think in the next five to 12 years, which is very exciting. I, I, I think it's just got to be done in a in a way that it also protects and looks after the land and working with government agencies and all sorts of people to make it right and a nice balance and, and done properly to protect the environment. 
Um, the reason, you know, the North Australia is so beautiful is because of the environment. I don't know anyone that wants to not protect that. So it's just got to be done in a, in the right manner. What I love about your answer to that question is that in each of the other episodes I've recorded, that central theme has come up from all the other guests that this is uh, uh, because the Northern Territory or Northern Australia is one of the last or pretty much the last area to be developed. We can do it right and best and better than anyone else in the country and in the world because we can look back and learn from everywhere else. And, and there really is a lot of emphasis on what you just said about striking that balance with the environment and getting development right and looking after the environment. And to hear that come up in all the guests so far is really, is really encouraging. It is. I'm a farmer too. And, you know, I don't believe in, in knocking every tree down in the country to grow large scales of crops and destroy the land. I believe in actually looking after the land correctly, but being able to crop where we got a crop and let's look after the land where, where, where it needs to be is I actually don't know anyone that I, I work with that just wants to destroy land. And I, I, that is, that is a myth. I think that is, there's a lot of discussion about clearing land and, and bulldozers and destroying the habitat. I don't know a person that's really wants to do that. It, yes, they want to develop scale properties and things like that, but they want, I think we all as, as a group of people in the north, we want to look after the rivers. We want to look after the water. We want to do the right thing because it is our home. And I think that's very important. Well, that sort of brings us full circle now that we've circled back around to myths. So I've just got two questions to close out with. Well, the first is what is the most important lesson that you've learnt since coming up north and starting these businesses and, and to, you know, becoming a landowner as well? Yeah, it's, it's very simple. It's don't think you've got it in the bag because it'll bite you. <laughs> it's, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I, I mean that, you know, there's some great success there, but, uh, don't think you've, don't think you've got it because it'll, it'll get you. Sounds like everyone needs to take a, a bite of humble pie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just about being, about being humble. Yeah. And what advice would you give to anybody that is either looking to come up north to work, to start a business, or perhaps invest in the north and develop, help develop the industries and do the scaling up like you mentioned? I think, um, you know, to come up here and start a business or, you know, scaling up land and things like that, you, you need a visionary and, a, and an integrator. You need to... You need to be very detailed in your work and your thoughts and planning. You need to have strategic planning. I think that's the number one key. 